Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I am Kyle Bird, your co-host. And I am Matt Parmley. Um, and uh, I think we're good to just cut to the chase on this one. Um, uh, this is the second episode we're recording tonight, and uh, in typical fashion, we were fashionably late to start. <laughs> um, but uh, luckily we got any news and announcements out of the way on that one, so we're good, I think, to just... Uh, get right to it um matt i don't know uh quite what your specific thoughts on this movie are but uh this is one that i've actually wanted to talk about for a long time um it's an old favorite and that is them from 1954 we owed ourselves uh a good movie after (laughs) after some of the stuff we watched recently so this is a breath of fresh air Yes, and uh, th- yeah, this is another no-brainer one that we're knocking off our uh, list of no-brainers that we somehow have missed. Um, uh, and this is an important movie in, in the genre of giant monster films, and uh, you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why. Um, and uh, I know that, we, I don't know, we, we, we were talking a little bit when we were planning you know, the episodes we wanted to do, and uh, we had them listed as part of a bigger episode about, you know, the giant bug boom of, of the 50s in, in Hollywood. But uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea that we're, we're kind of giving this its own episode because it's like, yeah, this is the movie that kicked all that off, but it's still so much better than all of those. Yeah. Like, this is to big bug movies what like the original halloween is to slasher movies like there still is or or like jaws is to shark movies like they're just nothing else really competes Uh, so um anyway this this is a it's an interesting movie still after all these years and uh you know it's the its production is interesting and it's just uh a movie that uh is still proves to be pretty influential and um uh i i think uh i think we'll enjoy talking about it um so uh them like i said is the first of the big giant bug movies um giant insect movies did they weren't around before them and uh they uh there have been dozens and dozens uh, maybe even hundreds of them since um the the most prominent boom of those was in America in the fifties. You know, movies like Tarantula, The Deadly Mantis, and uh, 
Earth versus the Spider, all those that you know we're we're bound to cover uh, in a future episode. Um, and still, every now and then, you know, B movies, you know, will will trot out, you know, a cheap giant bug movie. Um, but this is still the king of uh, king of all of them. And not only that, but uh, just in terms of how it relates to the kaiju genre, um, this well, the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms was the first. And this followed it um, as being, I think, I would say those are the only two pre-Godzilla films about giant radioactive monsters. Um, Mm. So, yes, this movie predates Godzilla. Godzilla was released in November, and Them was released in June in the United States. And uh, Them was released in Japan in August. Um, And, you know, Godzilla was... uh, Obviously, you know, the movie that would go on to define radioactive giant monsters, but um, the Beast from 20,000 Fathoms being the heaviest influence on Godzilla, but them also came before Godzilla. So that, that's kind of important to, to notice. And, 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 I, and you know, I, 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 think, I do think that, you know, the Toho people probably saw them. Um, I, think, I think Rodan especially has a lot of callbacks to them. Um, you know, with the Mega Neura, Mega, Mega, Mega Newlands. Mega Newland. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, them has its place. Um, speaking of them uh, and its connection to Japanese kaiju stuff, um, there's there's actually some people behind the scenes that uh, have have so at least tangential connections. Um, so them was uh, the brainchild of Ted Sherdeman, who was a producer at Warner Brothers, who ended up writing the movie. Um, Ted Sherdeman is also the creator of Latitude Zero. Um, people that heard us talk about Latitude Zero back when we did our our episode on it might remember if if not, or if you've forgotten, Latitude Zero is actually based on an old series of radio dramas. So, you know, pre-TV, when your entertainment was via radio, Latitude Zero was a radio series uh, written by Ted Sherdeman. Um, And he also wrote the original screenplay of the Latitude Zero movie, which was later uh, rewritten by Shinichi Wakasa for the shooting script in Japan. So uh, that's one person who uh, has uh, his place in the kaiju and tokusatsu uh, history as well. Um, Anyway, so yes, Them was his uh, brainchild, um, you know, before he worked at Warner Brothers as a a producer, he was a staff officer for General MacArthur, actually, and um, when he was doing that is also when he heard of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima. And when he heard that that had happened, he immediately, he was so sickened by the event that he he just started throwing up. He was absolutely disgusted. And um, so needless to say, he was vehemently opposed to nuclear weapons and, and war um, so when he did become a producer in Hollywood, um, that, that experience never left him, you know, I, I'm sure it's kind of like, 
it had a, a big impact on him the same way, you know, he probably remembered where he was and everything about when he heard that. It sounded like it was an event that really struck him. Um, and uh, he was at the same, and, and so, you know, he, he was pretty freaked out. And uh, he, he noticed there were advertisements from uh, plant sellers, people selling, you know, flowers that were promoting flowers that were supposedly exposed to x-rays um, to make them bigger, you know, selling these, you know, bigger than normal flowers. And that kind of freaked him out. And he was thinking, you know, what if, what if that happened to, like, uh, an, a creature that we see in every day, like, uh, like insects, like ants? So that's when he came up with the idea. And he commissioned a screenwriter named George Worthing Yates. Um, now, he also has a little bit of history with giant monsters in that he uh, wrote uh, It Came From Beneath the Sea and Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, the uh, Ray Harryhausen movies. Um, he also wrote uh, one of the several drafts of Willis O'Brien's King Kong vs. Frankenstein. Um, he wrote the King Kong vs. Prometheus version. As we all know, that was bought by a uh, 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 douchebag by the name of John Beck. <laughs> And uh, later taken to Toho to be worked into King Kong versus Godzilla. So that's our second name that uh, has a little bit of history with uh, Kaiju. Anyway, Yates would write uh, a story. What he wrote, he wrote it as a series of diary entries about ants in the subways of New York. Um, and then Sherdeman said, okay, turn this into a script. Um, and uh, Yates's script, uh, Sherdeman thought, would require... A, more money than they would be able to get. And then uh, Sherdeman had hired a writer named Russell Hughes to do a rewrite. Uh, but shortly into that rewrite, um, Sherdeman took over the script completely and did uh, the final version of the movie script with the director, Gordon Douglas. Um, and uh, they wrote the, 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 the final version together. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the, the history of the production is, is a little strange. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us exactly why? <laughs> uh, I mean, Warner Brothers spent thousands in script development and effects tests, but Jack Warner was like, nah, I don't I don't get this. And he was like, I'm going to sell this to 20th Century Fox. Um, Fox had been impressed with WB's box office success from like uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And then they offered him a ton of money, um, which of course then convinced him to keep the project at WB. He actually thought about making it um, a comedy vehicle for Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin, uh, but Sherman was like, uh, "No, we need to keep this pretty serious." I think that would have been yeah, awful. terrible. Yeah, that would have been terrible. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's pretty funny that uh, Jack Warner was like, "I don't get this. Like, I don't understand sci-fi or horror. Like, why? I don't." Even though the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms had been huge for them the previous year. So he was like, someone else buy this from us. And then Fox were like, we'll give you a gajillion dollars. And he was like, wait. <laughs> wait a second. If, yeah, if you're willing to spend second. that much money on this, there's got to be something to it. And sure enough, them wound up being the Warner Brothers' biggest moneymaker that year. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's, there were some hiccups uh, in, in the planning. Um, it was originally intended to be shot in 3D and in color. You know, 1954, there was a big boom of 3D. You know, Creature from the Black Lagoon was originally in 3D, and, and that was released in 54 also. Um, Sherdeman envisioned it as more of a black and white 
uh, movie, he wanted to use uh, footage of real ants superimposed over um, uh, backgrounds, similar to, I mentioned the movie Tarantula. If you've seen Tarantula, that's kind of how they did the giant spider stuff. Um, But they just weren't seeing eye to eye on that, and Sherdeman was fired as a producer on the movie, and he was replaced by a a guy named uh, David Weisbart, who uh, went ahead to plan to shoot in 3D, and because of that, that's when um, they decided to use full-sized giant ants. Um, you know, you could even call this uh, sort of an early version of, you know, animatronics. Yeah. One of the cool things about um, watching these movies from, like, the early days, from, I would say, like, the 30s through the 50s, maybe even early 60s, is, like, no one really knew what they were doing, so, like, everyone was doing different things. Like I mentioned, um, Tarantula used, you know, a real spider over backgrounds. The Blob used, like, a blob basically rolling around in, like, a box <laughs> with like <laughs> pictures of, of buildings in it. Um, you know, Godzilla obviously was Tokusatsu, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, King Kong, that stuff was stop motion. So it, it's interesting seeing like, I guess them have to come up with things. But anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so the giant ants would be these, you know, they, they built a couple of these really big, full model uh, robotic ants. And then, you know, different appendages, um, because, you know, they weren't going to build a ton of these full-scale ants. Um, And uh, from, I don't know that I, there's any color photographs out there, but uh, supposedly they were a dark purplish color, and um, they used uh, green and red soap bubbles in the eyes. Um, But uh, Jack Warner was still like, eh, I don't know. And so then he cut the budget (laughs) again to make it black and white again. Um, and, uh, even so they decided to use a, uh, a red and blue title card at the, uh, at the beginning, um, to just give it a little extra visual, uh, uh, flair, um, at the start. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, so that's, that's kind of how the movie, uh, came to be. Um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, now we can just cut right to talking about them, um, I don't, do you do you want which one of us? Uh, should I go will. Uh, I'll give it a whirl. Okay. You know, I was listen. I, I'm uh, Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery have a new podcast that I've been listening to. It's really good, by the way. It's called Video Archives. But what th- they do when they are about to like talk about a movie is they just read the uh, synopsis off the back of the box. We should steal that idea. I don't know. It. Yeah, I, I like I, the, the first <laughs> time I heard them do that, I was like, why haven't we? Like, why haven't we done, like, why don't, why haven't we just been doing that? I mean, we suck at this and we know that, <laughs> so I think that's why. Yeah, I don't know, yeah, but yeah, they're just like, okay, I'll read the back of the box, and then they read the, the back of the box. And then that's listen, I bet we could find that right now, in real time, we could do that, unless you, like, want to talk about the intricacies of the movie then. Uh, let's, I mean, w- let's do this the old-fashioned way. Maybe, maybe next time we'll... we'll... <laughs> I love that idea, actually. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the movie starts with two police officers who find this wandering uh, little girl in the desert near, I guess it's Alamogordo, which is, by the way, the site of the, the first nuclear test. Yep. Um, they they locate a nearby trailer, and they think that that's basically where she's from. The, the trailer is completely destroyed. The people that were supposed to be there are now missing. 
Um, and the girl is, is basically, she's mute. She can't really speak. They're not really sure what's wrong with her. Um, and then they start hearing that kind of the, the them whirring sound. And uh, that disturbs the girl, but nobody notices. And when this noise stops, she lays back down in her stretcher because at this point she's in an ambulance. Um, and then we basically have, uh, it's kind of a murderous rampage, right? We have uh, a store owner that gets killed and they find him dead and the, the part of like a wall is torn out. And uh, they're not really sure what the crap is happening. Um, they hear gunshots. Uh, and then basically we start seeing, we have our first, uh, encounter with one of the, the ants we have, um, what the, they can't, well, actually one of the, uh, there's Johnson, one of the, um, police officers has this like horrific death and they find this, uh, sort of acid on his body. They're trying to figure out like what the crap happened here. So they're investigating missing persons. Um, they find these like sort of footprint things by the trailer and they can't figure out what the crap it is. And then, uh, the girl eventually that sound, she hears that sound and she panics and she screams them, which is of course the iconic title of the movie. Um, and now they have this theory, ongoing theory about, okay, these are actually gigantic mutated, you know, insects, uh, and ants. And, you know, the thing about ants is they're, they can be really, uh, they're very invasive. In fact, uh, they're super invasive in real life because they'll go in and like wipe out each other's colonies if they're too close to each other. Ants, well, ants are one of, like the only species that, that like literally wage war on each yeah, other. Yeah, <laughs> they legitimately. It's crazy some of the stuff that you'll see. Um, so basically, they come up with this theory that hey, this is actually a colony of giant ants, and it's mutated by the first atomic bomb, um, and. You know, that's kind of where our story takes off. And then eventually we have, um, you know, the ants in the city and the different attacks and different things. And there's a lot of really awesome stuff that happens, especially towards the the end of it with flamethrowers and the sewer systems and different stuff. But that's that's like the basic setup for the movie. See, I told you that if we had read the box, it would have been better. Well, that wasn't too bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that. That is uh, that's them. So, uh, at what, when do you, I guess, what, what is your, uh, experience with this movie? So I am sure that I saw bits and pieces of it as a kid, like on monster vision, because they used to run a bunch of like bug insect stuff all the time. I don't remember. Did you have the fantastic dinosaurs of the movie tape? I did. I think every okay. that, yeah, that, that every, every kaiju fan our age probably had that but yeah the, the i mean i watched that tape a billion times so the trailer for this is being on that tape is probably the you know the first i ever burned into it, your brain know? yeah yeah uh i definitely saw it at some point like on monster vision or something but honestly a lot of um a lot of the american like bug movies black and white movies are a pretty big blind spot for me even now mainly because yeah. like I wanted dinosaurs. I wasn't so into the bug stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the more famous ones. You know, I've seen this, obviously. Uh, I've seen Tarantula. I've seen The Deadly Mantis. You know, I've seen Beginning of the End, you know, some other ones here and there. But, yeah, there's there's a handful of them I haven't watched. But, uh, yeah, this one I probably... I, wanna, I was probably in seventh, sixth, seventh grade, maybe. When I first saw this, um, I taped it off of either TCM or AMC. 
Back in our day, AMC was like TCM. AMC originally stood for American Movie Classics, so they, they would just show old stuff. Um, but I, I mean, I, right away, I, this is a movie that I, I really liked. I, even when I was, you know, I don't know, a snotty middle school kid, I, I was like, you know, wow, this is actually pretty darn good, um, you know, better than I, I would have thought. Um, I, I still feel that way. Uh, this is a movie that really, I think, has stood the test of time. Um, and I think uh, people that watch it for the first time are probably not expecting it to be as good as it is just because they've seen so many other movies that have tried to imitate it. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's, a, that's actually a really good point. That haven't been as good. So they're expecting it to be... Di- probably It's probably how... I mean, the original Godzilla hits emotionally way harder than something like this. But probably people that are only familiar with Godzilla from, you know, like Godzilla versus Megalon or some of the goofier stuff, going back and watching the original one, being like, wow, that was like not, that was better than I thought it would have been. I I would imagine it's probably a similar case with them because really when I say none of the imitators came close... I really mean it. I, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes people lump Mothra in with you know the big bug craze, but I, I mean, I, I Mothra is more to me a fairy tale, yeah, more of a King Kong uh, formula than you know. This starts out like a like a detective story because like people are dying, they just they don't know why they're piecing that together, and then you have like um, there's a there's a sequence where basically they find this father mutilated more or less, and the two boys are missing. And then they have to go save the boys from like a what like a, a nest. Um, it's I mean like it. I think it. It's extremely well paced and well thought out, and like also just, um, kind of by the numbers in a way. But I really appreciate the fact that it's like that base level detective trying to piece together what happened, and there's you know real trauma involved, right? There's, um, I, the fact that it's set in the desert, you know. Uh, and the fact that it's calling back to the first nuclear test, you know, we talked about how, um, the guy was, he was anti-nuclear war and I think giant monsters are obviously we've, you know, we love Godzilla, but this is a great way to show that. Um, and then you have the, the trauma of children being like in harm's way. Yeah. Even the ending of the movie, you know, yeah, they, they wipe out the, the last, the, of, of, the ants, but uh, like the last line of the movie is uh, when men entered, when man entered the atomic age, he opened a door to a new world. What we may eventually find in that new world, nobody can predict. So it's like, yeah, even though this conflict is resolved, I mean, he's ba- they're basically saying there's no going back. <laughs> Every uh, the world has changed for the worse, and yeah. you never know what's going to happen. Which is both true of nuclear war and just in general, like. Like, look at everything that's happened in just the last few years. I mean, yeah, a lot of Pandora's boxes have been opened, and it, you know, it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an ending where you know we won, but it's still like we didn't really. <laughs> you know, it's still like <laughs> you know, yeah, we we what 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 we when by splitting the atom, we forever fucked up everything. Basically, it's like, you know, yeah, the ants are dead, but don't forget this. 
uh, the stakes in this movie are also super high. Like, the ants can conquer the world. They make that pretty, uh, ve- very plainly known from the kind of from the, the middle of the movie onward. And of course, it's, uh, you know, people, some listening to scientists, some not listening to scientists, that, that kind of thing going on. So, I mean, like, yeah, that still happens. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it brings that it brings that real world, you know, levity to it, I think, for for a movie made in the 50s. Um, plus, like, the answer are, are honestly for, for 1954, pretty terrifying. And they have real presence because of that weird, you know, whirring sound that they always emit. Yeah, the the, the movie treats them like. uh I don't, the movie's very atmospheric, and and some of that is in the sound design. So yeah. Very specifically, the 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 ant sound, but also just like the winds of the desert, and you know, uh, the desert having this kind of depressing, lonely isolation to it. Um, whether it's the desert, or um, you know, the storm drains. Or you know the ant colonies themselves. Every location kind of is a, its own character, um, and I, I think the black and white ended up being to its advantage because the way a lot of it is shot is almost like feels like old newsreel footage. Almost like yeah. almost like how the original Godzilla has that old newsreel kind of documentary look to it. This kind of. Is similar, but yeah, every I mean, everyone that has seen this movie remembers that. Yeah, watch this movie once, and it's like you'll never forget that sound, you know. <laughs> and and right so now. yeah, people seeing this in 1954 scared the hell out of them, <laughs> quite frankly. And then the 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 uh, the ants, especially for the time, and being these giant, you know, controlled props are really well done i mean uh you know the everything from you know their eyes and you know their uh their antenna and uh even their heads their heads have this weird like pulsating effect where like that that is really like gross looking and off-putting um uh yeah no i like I, I, it's it's very. I, I, most of that holds up to this day. Um, with the ants themselves, I, and I think it's probably due to budget reasons. You know, they go through the whole ant life cycle. Um, with you know the males that have wings that, you know, will mate and then die, or, or the queens that have wings, and uh, you know they they you know they talk about you know someone saw a flying ant. And, you know, there's a guy that, you know, he says he saw a UFO and it turns out he saw a flying ant. You know, they never show that. But people that are like us that are used to watching Japanese movies are probably pretty used to that. Like in Monster Zero, (laughs) there's a whole thing where they're like, King Ghidorah is attacking the United States. And it's like, well, he is. (laughs) And uh, Gamera 3 does that, too. They're like, oh, yeah, this country, a bunch of Gauss were there and whatever. Speaking of Gamera, though, I do have to wonder... uh, the the part where they're he's he's showing the the document nature documentary footage and talking about the ant life cycle is very much the same <laughs> scene <laughs> as in in Gamera two when they they do the same thing and showing you know yeah. s- insects similar to the legion and explaining you know the 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 life cycle of you know the legion flower and the soldiers and the queen and all that. Uh, well, we we mentioned like they literally wage war, but I it just reminds me I watched like 
uh, was watching some like Animal Kingdom stuff with Landon, and there was like this video, and basically like these ants like ran into each other, kind of like going after this food that was in in the middle, in between, and like just from one encounter from like one ant, they they basically went to war over that, and one entire swarm of ants basically killed out, wiped out, killed the queen, like exterminated them. It's just crazy to think about how aggressive a species could be, which makes perfect sense for this because, like, that's, I mean, that's what was kind of going on in this movie. And I just, it, the, the, the way that it happens in real life is uh, pretty terrifying if you were to think of those things being actually giant. Yeah. Um, that, that, yeah, ants are crazy. <laughs> uh, Bird, do you think uh, James Cameron has seen this movie? Yeah, well, yeah, speaking of influence... Um, <laughs> Aliens is a. There is a lot from this movie that wound up in Aliens. Um, I, I mean, I love Aliens. It's my favorite James Cameron movie. Not my favorite Alien movie. I still like Alien more, but I love Aliens. But uh, it's it's pretty hard to deny the things that <laughs> were carried over. You know, there's the catatonic little girl that's carrying around a broken doll. Uh-huh. Um, there's uh, the whole, you know, invading the egg chamber with uh, flamethrowers. Um, uh, there, there's quite a bit of them in <laughs> in Aliens. Um, I, in my personal taste, I probably like Aliens more. Granted, I love this movie, but um, yeah, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, but but uh, I mean. Yeah, there, there's certainly a lot that uh, I think was was uh, lifted for, for <laughs> aliens. Absolutely. Uh, you know, again, this is a movie that I saw snippets of as a kid, and I, for whatever reason, uh, I just like I was all about the dinosaur kind of monsters, not so much ever about the the insect kind of monsters. Which is really thinking back, like. Um, stupid of me because this is a really good movie that I think I missed out on honestly because I didn't really see the full thing until I was much older Um, I also agree with you that the black and white work to its advantage because you can do a lot more and you can hide any sort of um, maybe poorly conceived special effects I think a lot better in black and white just because it sort Mm -hmm. of betrays how effective it might be but it it makes the ants very uh, atmospheric, uh, very well done, well put together. They're they're pretty creepy, and they inter- like the way that they interact with the different you know the, the cast members is a lot of fun. Um, so uh, trivia time. I, actually, I stole that from another. Uh, <laughs> we should start using trivia time. I have a basketball podcast that I listen to that always does that. But uh, our trivia for tonight is uh, the climax was originally supposed to be a Santa Monica Pier, but then they changed it to the LA storm drains because it would be cheaper, which I actually think. I, I, yeah, I, I, I think the storm drains is better. Uh, the desert shot was in weather of the desert shoot was, uh, like a hundred degree, which yeah, the desert's going to be hot, but that's, that sounds awful. That's miserable. Yeah. Uh, this movie cost somebody a job kind of, uh, Walt Disney's saw the movie to check out, uh, James Ar- Arnis to potentially play Davy Crockett. But when he saw, uh, Fess Parker's single scene, uh, as a witness in the insane hospital, he actually like gave that role to Parker instead. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. 
Um, oh, James Arnest, he, he, you know, he, 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 got, he got some luck out of it still, though. He didn't get Davy <laughs> Crockett, but he got something that probably just as uh, prolific. Um, John Wayne saw this movie and was so impressed with Arnest that he recommended him for Gunsmoke. Uh, which is, you know, the thing that he's known for. So yeah, I'm I'm not a hundred percent clear. You know, I don't I don't know much of what James Arness did before this. I know he was the thing. He played the thing in the original The Thing from Another World. Um, but yeah, I mean, Gunsmoke is like what made what made yeah. it. So. Uh, and then the crazy sounds we've been talking about from the ants uh, are actually made from the calls of tree frogs yeah i think they threw a couple birds in there too but yeah it's 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 a it's very unsettling honestly yeah it's it's a it's a disturbing sound (laughs) um speaking of cast members um dr medford the older uh scientist um was played by edmund gwen who uh shurdeman and uh Gordon Douglas, the director, had to fight to get him the role because the, stu- the studio thought he was just too old. They were kind of right. Um, I, I think he, I think he's really good in this movie, yeah, but I agree. he definitely struggled. Um, he had arthritis, uh, you know, so he was in pain quite a bit uh, when they were shooting. I don't imagine uh, those hundred plus degree desert shoots. Uh, were very sure easy on him. Sure <laughs> um, you know, he had to be helped on and off set by his uh, valet driver. Um, also, Leonard Nimoy uh, shows up as an army officer in the communications office in uh, an uncredited tiny little role. I mean, if you just Google Leonard Nimoy and them, you know, you can just find the, the clip on YouTube right there. Um, it was nominated for an Oscar, uh, rightfully so. Um, it lost to the 20, uh, t- Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, maybe also rightfully so, because yeah. that, that, that movie is also pretty impressive. Um, interesting thing about this is uh, in 1950s sci-fi, that's also when you had a lot of uh, kind of Cold War, Red Scare, panic going on, uh, especially in Hollywood, you know, and... Um, uh, this movie has been interpreted as, you know, the ants being a stand-in for communists and, you know, them being uh, something like that. But uh, I, I'm not, I, I, I think Sherdeman was really kind of just focused on delivering an, an anti-nuke message. However, um, uh, Warner Brothers' ad campaign uh, kind of did take advantage of that uh, paranoia. You know, um, a lot of... Uh, some of the posters showed a lot of the ants, some of them didn't, um, but a lot of the, uh, the promotional material would be like, um, you know, what would you do if you saw them, you know, uh, or, or you know, basically playing up the otherness of uh, the, the title the, of them, you know, of, you know, us versus them, and kind of tapping into, uh, you know, consciously and subconsciously that kind of paranoia in fact um the the original the, the promotional campaign was supposed to be even more heavy-handed um they they wanted to have uh, real life military agencies um get invited to put recruiting booths in movie theaters um and they they you know put up signs that would say like what would you do if you know your city was attacked by them you know prepare for any danger enlist in civil defense 
Um, eventually, <laughs> that campaign and spends uh, maybe the first 20 to 30 seconds kind of playing up um, shout for how 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 are we going to prepare to fight them and you know it's it's similarly tapping into kind of that red scare stuff um, uh, the flamethrowers in this movie actually are actual war world war ii time flamethrowers and uh, they were operated by actual people that operated them in world war ii um, which is probably for the best. Um, uh, so yeah, this is uh, uh, definitely a movie that has stuck around in pop culture. I mean, it, it gets homage. There's homages to it in a lot of places. Um, uh, Fallout Three, for example, um, has. Uh, I guess I haven't played it, but uh, from what I understand, there's a side quest um, with mutated ants that are called those, which is you know, an obvious homage to it. Um, and, and it's a movie that seems to like show up in things where, I don't know, people are watching it, you know, in Ant-Man and mm. the Wasp, there's a scene where they're watching them, which, you know, Ant-Man, ants, haha. You know, there's an episode of Friends where it's on one of the TVs. I mean, it, it shows up, in, there, there's a subliminal frame of the movie that's in, spliced into Cloverfield where like, it's like one frame. There, they, there's a frame of them, King Kong, and the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, just in the, in in, it, like you wouldn't know it unless you knew the timestamp and paused it. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, the, it's it's a movie that still gets referenced and homaged, and um, it, it it inspired another movie that gets referenced and homaged, which is Alien. So, I mean it's kind of really stood the test of time. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think um, you mentioned kind of, I guess, how the movie is kind of a mystery, and I, I think that's a big part of why it works. Because even, even if you know it's about giant ants, it, the way it's structured is done where, you know, it's almost like a procedural, and you're kind of following the characters along this, mystery of okay what are they okay now they know what they are how do they how do they find them once they figure that out okay how do we stop them and so it's 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 kind of taking you through all those stages in a very um natural way um and uh and and yeah. the characters just work you know they're not you know are they the best most deepest characters ever no but they're likable um, I mean, there's there's some character beats that really add a lot of personality. One of my favorite scenes, as far as the characters go, is the scene where um, the two doctors, the the old man and his daughter, are the two professors in, in the movie, and they are um, in a helicopter, and they're uh, talking over the radio to a separate helicopter with our um, our FBI agent and uh, and and a. Uh, uh, um, the other, the guy played by James Whitmore, I, I forget his name, um, anyway, and, uh, like, the old man is trying to talk to them, and they're like, you, oh, if you're done, you have to say over, and, like, you know, he, he, he keeps, like, not, he's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> like, he doesn't seem to understand, like, the rules <laughs> with, you know, the radio, uh, 
communication, like stuff like that. I mean, I we always talk about how just little things like that can like really make characters more endearing. Um, and then I guess spoiler alert for anyone that I don't, hasn't seen this, which by the way, what are you doing? Like <laughs> stop this right now and go watch them. But um, you know, the uh, James Whitmore's character, you know, at the end, you know, he basically sacrifices himself to save these two kids. And, you know, for a movie like this, you don't really expect to see, you don't really expect the main character to get killed by the monster. Um, and that was a big surprise yeah, when I a, first yeah. saw this. It's, you know, it's always, you know, the, the main character will do something to kill the monster from a safe distance and everything's done. But here it's, you know, he, he dies, he basically gives his life to make sure these kids get away from the, these, these monsters. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, for 1954, I mean, even today that's considered kind of a ballsy move, you know, to kill your hero, you know. So, I mean, but 1954, yeah, definitely a ballsy move. I think that <clears throat> I think showing like you always think about the happy ever after happy kind of thing with a lot of the, the older films. And I do think that obviously this is one of the first ones to, to do it. But like, I think for a lot of us, because we didn't see this one first, I mean, I didn't, uh, that does take you by surprise. And, and I think in a good way, because I think the movie demonstrates like there's a cost to this stuff. There's a, there's a, there is a cost and a sacrifice that has to be made in order because yeah. of what's yeah, what and reach. it's like, like it's sort of a happy ending. Like they kill the ants, but our main character is dead, and the we're not sure if we've actually like ended yeah, the problem it, because yeah, now it's we've like, you know yeah, our main character is dead, <laughs> and <laughs> humanity is basically ruined because we we made the atomic bomb. That's still true, <laughs> you know. Yeah, unfortunately, like we, how many we times we've on the podcast, come extremely just, close to being wiped out. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I, yeah, we need we need more movies like this made now. And I mean, yeah, I, you know. I don't know. I mean, I, I almost don't want to bring this up because I know what people will think. But oh, I know. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, go it's like I don't know. I short. I don't want to just because we've talked about it so much, and people are probably tired of tired of me griping that's, about that's it. Fair. But like, it really does make me think about stuff like King of the Monsters, where it's like, mm, yeah, can we get? It was done so badly, Bird, that one of the first things you said about Godzilla versus Kong yeah. is like, thank it's God like, if you can't do it, like, if you can't do it like this, <laughs> just don't. You know, I, and and I, I mean that's one of those things where it's like, look, this is definitely. I, I think I, I don't think a lot of people realize that this is still a very relevant threat, and it it will be as long as as long well, as we live, as long as our kids live, as long as our grandkids live it will be a very serious, very real threat to all of us. Well, they, they're working, they've just, like, they've made all the nuclear weapons 
work like they've yeah. made them basically undetectable now with some of the new technologies and you have everything with you know russia and ukraine and like i mean the tensions are still there we just have we forgotten about the like the cold war era yeah, I mean, uh, with every day. kids back then were told, oh, you know, hide under, duck and cover, hide under your desk. Just to, just <laughs> to trick kids into thinking they would be safe. The adults knew that that wasn't going to help. And I, mean, oh, and, yeah. and, and I mean, and now it's like we're doing the same thing, but with guns. But it, I mean, but still, I mean, if, if we ever get to a, 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 a climate where it's as tense as there's almost nothing stopping us from getting into another cold war. I mean, it's almost like just dumb luck that we haven't. And you just got, it's it's one of those things that like, you know, you think about how normalized the atomic bomb is in the way we think about it, in the way it's presented in pop culture, especially here in America. And I don't know. At some point, you just have to, I don't know, you, you have to think about, like, okay, think about, I, w- I would encourage these writers, you know, the people making these pop culture uh, products, to think about, is this really what you want to normalize and present in, in anything other than, like, something that's going to kill us all? <laughs> uh, that's why whenever whenever Toho decides to make the next Godzilla film, I really hope that they not remake the first movie, but I hope that they capture the essence of the first movie and presenting like the reality yeah. of war, the reality of, of nuclear war. Because to me, that's that's a message that we're just like in a and especially Western cinema, where like the the nuclear weapon mm-hmm. is always seen as being like an answer. It's always seen as solving the problem. I, I think we need more of this, where like the nuclear weapon was the problem, and we need to figure out a way yeah. to fix it. And and with them, they're straight up like, well, this is over, but there's no fixing this problem. Like life is different forever. I, I just, I mean, people just yeah. need to be more thoughtful. Like I, I mean, I can understand some some stuff. I can understand a guy getting bit by a radioactive spider getting superpowers. I, I can understand things like that a little more. Um, but yeah, when it comes to just nuclear weapons, literal nuclear bombs, I, I, I just, I think that, I, I don't know. I think, I think we should, we should be more sensitive and thoughtful about how, how, how it's handled. I think I could deal with the, like, sort of how you, like, almost irrelevant feeling it's become in, in, like, media. Like, Call of Duty, I know it's a, it's a war game, but one of the things that happens in that game is if you get a kill streak up to, like, I don't know, 20 or 25, you can detonate a nuke to end the, like, to end the, to end the round. Which, like, <laughs> again, it's a game, I get it, stupid, but, like, it's just kind of another, it's another example of how, like, Everything that we it's do, triv- yeah, it's very tri- is, it's trivialized, right? <laughs> it's just really trivial. And I don't, I don't fault, I don't fault that like so much. It was just it's probably a crappy example, but like, I just wish that to, to counterbalance some of that kind of stuff, you had more 
of these kinds of films. Yeah, I, 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 I think that is a good point in that some, of, some things like that, or, you know, using King of the Monsters as an example, um, I, some of those things would be easier to digest if, if there was more of this. Yes. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think you can, you know, go your entire life and just um, allow this to overwhelm you with how, like, serious it is. Because if you thought about nuclear annihilation, like, we're kind of constantly on the brink of that at any given time. I, at, at this point, right? we're, on the, we're, we're on the brink of several apocalypses yeah. that could I, happen. I, I don't want to spend my time <laughs> thinking about that. But at the same point, like, I do, think, I do think there's important stories to tell still. And I do think giant monsters in general can be a really good vehicle to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I've said this before, and, you know, people are, you know, if people disagree, that's fine, you know. Uh, but I, I, I really wish Shin Godzilla leaned into the Fukushima stuff more instead of getting wrapped up in, I guess, the politics and trying to solve it. I, I wish I wish it served as more of a cautionary tale than what they did. Um, and so, yeah, I hope that whatever Toho does next, I guess, can it can at least bring those themes full circle again in some way. So Americans, I don't want to see ever handle nukes and Godzilla. I'm just done yeah, with it's... it. I. I it's been mishandled in several ways in several movies at this point, and each one worse than the last. So just, I don't trust us to 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 know how yeah, to do no, that. That's, right, that's true. So getting back to them, because we should probably go out on the uh, on a on a good note, because this movie's excellent, and it is. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of those movies where like. Everything is good, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, so it, it's almost like in the people that have seen it, which, you know, un, I, unfortunately, I don't know, you know, I don't know how often it airs on TV or, I mean, this is one of those movies that was on TV a lot on Monster Vision, whatever, back in the day. And now, you know, I mean, yeah, you can get the Blu-ray from Warner Archive or whatever, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I would love to see, um, more people uh, discover this movie. I think younger fans of giant monster films um, probably haven't gotten to this one yet. And uh, if you're one of those people, um, I, I mean, if you're like, okay, I've checked out Godzilla, Gamera, whatever, all the Kong stuff, I mean, go watch them. I mean, uh, there's, there's no reason it wouldn't be right up your alley. So, you know, if there's younger listeners that maybe haven't, you know, seen this movie or grown up with it, like, you know, you know, previous generations, I mean, put this up at the top of your, you know, watch. Yeah, we, uh, it's excellent. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good, good rating scale. Uh, how many whirring tree frog noises at a... <laughs> How many kindly old store owners named Gramps with their chest <laughs> caved in? Because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, they're like, you know, he's got this endearing nickname, Gramps. And they're like, let's go see what Gramps 
Gramps knows anything. It's like, oh, wh- he's dead and his chest is caved in. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm at a, uh, a salt. I mean, like, a very good four out of five. Um, it's a great movie, and I think you should watch it if you haven't. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to throw it up to a four and a half. I mean, um, it's a movie that I love, and for whatever reason, I don't re- revisit often enough. And I... I I should I should change that. Um, I mean, every time I watch it, I'm just really just taken away with it. As far as you know, '50s era kind of B movies, it doesn't get much better. It's got everything that you'd want, and then some. You know, it's it's got everything that you want out of a, a B movie, a monster movie, but then it's also well structured. Characters and performances are good. Um, it's atmospheric, it's genuinely creepy at times, and, um, it's, it's, it's just awesome, you know? Um, I, I, yeah, there's really nothing I can say about it that hasn't already <laughs> Go been watch said. It. It's just, you Doing. know, yeah, it just, yeah, like I said, this is, uh, this is the king still of giant bug movies and um it's the first and still the best and yeah if if you are feeling like you've you know seen all the japanese stuff or whatever i mean this this needs to go on the top of your watch list it's a classic um yeah go watch it turn us off before we start talking about something stupid again like (laughs) <laughs> yeah, don't listen to us anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and if you ha- and if you have seen it, go watch it again. Well, it's one thirty. Yeah, we go. should. Uh... <laughs> it's one thirty on a work night. What are we doing, Bert? Yeah, we sh- we. I don't know. I don't know. I would normally probably be up at this time anyway, just doing nothing other than ru- making sure my next day is ruined because I didn't get enough sleep. So. That that's what it is to be an adult, I think, anymore. But, uh, yeah, go watch them, and uh, we'll be back with some cool stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Good night. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.